Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Here today with the CEO and founder of WorthPoint, Will. Hello. Hello, how are you? Doing well. So excited yeah, to see you today. Um, an honor to speak with you. Uh, WorthPoint is one of my favorite websites on the internet. It is a resource we go to often for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Now, just in the off, off, off chance that someone listening to this doesn't already know what WorthPoint is, what is WorthPoint? It's everything you could want to know about art, antiques, and collectibles to do your research as a buyer and seller. Indeed. In my experience, extremely helpful. Very good at cutting down the time you'll spend Googling a million random dead ends. A very nice streamlining of the data of what things have sold for when and under what condition. And helpful archives. Indeed. There's over 5 billion web pages. Yeah, yeah. So um, go click on WorthPoint. It's amazing. <laughs> One of the few subscriptions in my lifetime, I would say, is 100% worth it all the time. I, I started it because I'm a seller. I quit the corporate world. I hated it. That was about 40 at that point, and at 50, I said, I'm done with the corporate world. The right correct on. choice, I think. Yeah. So, well, how did WorthPoint grow from, I guess, where did you get the idea to get it started? I used to be a construction worker that hung out by the side of the highway and looked really buff and had a suntan. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'd get phone numbers as people drove by. And, you know, I, I realized I couldn't do that forever because one day I would look not real good. So mm. I went to college and found out I was really good at math, and but I'd always been a dealer because I grew up by Manassas Battlefield, and we'd go metal detecting on there at night oh. and be chased by rangers. Oh, <laughs> so, <no. laughs> Scooby doing it. <laughs> exactly. They never caught me, but you know, fast forward quite a few years, and a couple things. One is I wondered how could a Mickey Mantle baseball card that was just paper, you know, pasteboard, be worth a million dollars? Oh, indeed. Yeah, now they've sold up to $12 million. And I saw my mom downsizing and always getting screwed and I got tired of work and all started selling my kids stuff on eBay. And I said, you know what? We need tools. And I got the idea of WorthPoint and people needed information. So, you know, you start with an idea and unfortunately somebody threw the original drawing I had for the website away. Oh no. It was on a paper napkin. I drew it out of PF Chang's. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, and so it'd be really neat to still have that. But it was an idea because I'd sometimes, and eBay's my primary selling platform, and I love it because I sell odd things and collectible things. And But every once in a while, you'd get a letter from Trust and Safety telling you, you did it wrong, Will. Well. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had those letters if you sold on eBay in the old days. So, you know, I said, well, I'd like to do it right. How could we get better information? And that something you guys said that's really important is your time is worth money. And I tell people you can look for everything on Google and you may find 90% of it, but you'll end up making better wages at McDonald's than the time it will take to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, so who wants that? And so that was the genesis of WorthPoint. And I wanted it to be that, you know, originally, I don't know if you remember, the site was free. Yes, I do. Yeah. I've been using it that long. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it, but the ad market went to hell in 2007 and 2008. Yeah. So we had to start charging and it was supposed to be free. Didn't want to do charge, but we had to do it. We got to pay employees, unfortunately. Yeah. Servers and, lost money. Yeah. <laughs> they all want to be paid. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't get very good programmers. No. So, <laughs> 
you know, hence we built WorthPoint. And the idea was it was supposed to be about the cost of a tank of gas to get everything you needed for a month on the site. And that was kind of the genesis and gas has gone up or down. But the price is, I think, very reasonable for everything you need. It's like, how could you go, if you're a carpenter, how do you go to work without a toolkit? And you say, wait, I got to go find my hammer. I'll be back in two hours. You know, you you wouldn't do that. And you don't want to do that when you're trying to research something and get good bucks for it. Yeah, I would say easily um, for, for what it costs, you'll make back that money in what you're selling very easily. And worth point, absolutely necessary for beginners. It streamlines the like the art of researching. Oh, yeah. Getting everything you need to learn in one place instead yeah. of scrambling all over the place and running across, you know, several thousand dollars worth of Princess Diana Beanie Babies and wondering, <laughs> is this legit? Or is this money laundering? And guess what? It's money. It's money laundering. I <laughs> will tell you. Put <laughs> your mind on drugs, you know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's told you, but within a couple of weeks, we're going to have visual recognition on WorthPoint. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, finally. Oh, thank God. Finally. That's going to be so cool. Mm-hmm. Somebody wanted to know why I didn't have it before Google did. And I said, I don't have their research budget. Yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> wow. Not many of us have Google's resources. What an apt question. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> Why aren't you Google? Uh, we're working on the release. It's supposed to come out and be in Apple for approval. Nice. But it's going to be, be on the handheld, and it's going to be a new app for the price guide that is supposed to be doing marks and the price guide on the release. So you'll be able to look up your marks if you have a, a marks program. And I can tell you guys what marks is, but it's a separate database from the price guide. So, Will, what's this we hear about an insanely valuable carved turkey? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I went to an estate sale in South Jesus, Georgia. That's what I call the middle of nowhere here. I was willing to just accept that was a place in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, but we can make it one. I don't go deep south too often. (laughs) When I moved here, I I thought Buckhead was Butthead, and I was looking for Beavis, but... You know, um, it was down south of the city quite a bit. And I went to the house because a friend of mine who does estate sales, she does really upscale estate sales. And she didn't think this quite was the place she wanted to put her label on. And so she sent me down there to pick. And you know it's going to be a rough day when you go to a house to pick. And the first thing they ask you is, do you have any money for beer and cigarettes? We need to go to the store. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) That's opportunity right there. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, wow, okay, we, I think I can cover that. <laughs> oh, man. And so they went and got some beer and cigarettes, and they came back, and I said, well, what's the deal? And they said, well, you can have anything in the house you can fit in your car. Whoa. All right. That's a deal. <laughs> yeah. And it was their parents' place, and he was old, this guy. So his dad had to have been real old. And they said, you can have anything in the house you want that you can fit in your car, and it's ten grand." So I said, well, you lower that for a price bottle of cognac, you know, <laughs> really good cognac. We don't need to drink beer today, guys. But they hung to their $10,000 price. And I walked around in the house and some of the outbuildings because it was quite an old place. And I said, okay, you're on. And keep in mind, I was not the first picker that had been through this house. And I don't know what they charged the other people, but I was not the first. There was still enough left to make it worth and grand? Yeah, the other five or six people should have found a new living. <laughs> uh, they were not good pickers. And I spent the whole day there. And I didn't even get through everything. He had a lot of bins in one of the outbuildings. But the last thing I grabbed on the way out, 
I grabbed this carved thing on the mantle. I didn't even know what it was. And I grabbed it and I said, this is cool. It's only about mm, six inches long. It doesn't take up a lot of room. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to take it home. And so when I got in that car and there was so much shit in this place that they even had bent railroad rails from the time the Northern Army went through here. And oh, wow. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was really cool stuff. And I didn't put those in my car. It wouldn't have fit, but I maybe could have tried tying it to the roof. Oh, I had a big Jeep. And so I could not see out a window other than right in front of me when I left that place. I mean, and if you're telling me I can pack my car, I pack my car. I had old comic books, old gold notes, you know, uh, from the Federal Reserve and stuff. Whoa. And that's why I say whoever picked this house before, you know, they should have found a new living. Yeah, it's yeah. a clown town before you got there, man. Yeah. And so I, I'm pretty happy at this point. And I go home and it would be fair to say I have a lot of inventory. I'm like a lot of dealers that have been doing this all my life. And when you go and make big scores, you sell things to get your money back. The rest goes into storage or something. And so I do have a warehouse full of stuff. I have a house full of stuff. And I I started in furniture, but I haven't dealt in furniture in 30 years. So it's mostly smalls. I sell a lot of paper, you know, ephemeral. Mm -hmm. And so I have a house full. I have a warehouse full. And I get home. And I open the front door to the foyer. It's a typical southern house with a big front foyer. And I hear, what are you going to do with that stuff? It's like a ghost speaking to me. <laughs> oh, no. It's a conscience. <laughs> and I say, what stuff, dear? You're not bringing that into this house. No, I'm not. What is it? <laughs> and so, well, you can't bring it in. Oh, no, no, I won't do that. Go to, go to have a cocktail and go to bed. <laughs> The tale is old as time. <laughs> oh, true as it can be. You can imagine life with Will. <laughs> so I bring the stuff in, and damn if she doesn't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I pick up the top item on the pile, which was the last item that I'd gotten out. It was a carb thing. And I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. But the guy that carved it was nice enough to carve on the bottom Gibson turkey call. Oh. oh. And so I said, oh. That's not, what, what's a Gibson turkey call? And you know, the only place I could find it was on Worth Point. And they have modern ones, but this was one of the ones that Mr. Gibson made, who has the pot patent on box calls. Uh, so a box call, uh, instead of blowing into it and getting it to sound like a turkey, you rub a little paddle handle over the box and it squawks like a turkey. Oh. And he had carved the whole box and had a hunting dog on it, uh, flushing birds. And he had the woman's name, he carved on it, made it for, in Sea Breeze, Florida. And this was back around the 1920s. And he lived in Arkansas, so I don't know how he knew her and what the arrangement was between the two. And so it had a lot of allure to it. And I found one on Worth Point for $15,000. <laughs> oh, man. So that's the cost of the car full of stuff, plus an extra. And that's what I say. Don't be afraid to spend a little money. And so I pick up the turkey call. I got a picture of the eBay screen. And I said, look, dear, I'm going to get $15,000 for this. <laughs> and my conscience is saying, right, Will. <laughs> sure thing, buddy. No, I'm really going to get $15,000. I don't care. Get that stuff out of the foyer. <laughs> so I listed it for sale on eBay for 99 cent auction. Whoa. That's bold. That is a bold move, my dude. And the next morning, I'm up to like $10,000. And somebody's offering to send their chauffeur over with $15,000 of small unmarked bills. <laughs> I would be scared, not gonna lie. 
And I said, look, I can get $15,000 for this. I told you. I don't care, Will. Ooh, she's tough to impress, huh? Oh, man. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to let it ride. I'm not going to take the money. And then I went out to talk in Las Vegas to Lynn Raleigh's crew. And I was the first one to speak in that morning. And, and I, the poor pers- people that came next, because we went for about three hours and I only had an hour. And I flew home that night. The auction went off while I was flying and Lynn recorded it, but it went for $27,500. Oh my God. And, and that was all just naturally, like... Yeah. But it just shows you the power of information. I mean, one, you got to get knowledge to know what to pick. And I advise people to get out of their sweet spot and take some chance but cost average and try to buy lots. And, you know, I didn't drop out of my mom's womb knowing how to buy. I had to learn things, but I used to go... My mom was an artist, and I would go to the museum with her before I was in elementary school. And so I really got to like art and color. But I look for odd things, and I try not to compete on price. I try not to buy things. But I have to compete on price unless, you know, there's a time I bought 7,000 coffee mugs in an estate sale. <laughs> they were old, and I paid about three cents a piece for them. You know, so then I can afford to compete on the price of a coffee mug. But I try to buy interesting things and things that are different. You know, I just got a China American World War II uniform with a really a pocket patch I've never seen before. Wow. And I learned about military patches. And this is a really bizarre one of Donald Duck with a hypodermic needle. Wow. Yeah, you know, <laughs> on a stretcher. <laughs> so it was like a medic thing? Yeah, he was in the 22nd Field Hospital, which was a China unit uh, that we had. And, and they recruited primarily Chinese Americans. And there were only about 250 people in the unit. Oh, wow. And I think it was a theater-made patch, which means they made it over in China. And it wasn't produced in a factory here. So, I mean, I've sold military patches for thousands of dollars. And that's what I hope this one will do. What an incredible piece of history. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. And you just have to bother to learn and want to be inquisitive you know i'm in at the right price so i'll do well you know i sell on different platforms i also use max sold which is a great place when you don't want to see things anymore (laughs) (laughs) you know it's a lot of fun and i love what i'm doing and i'll probably do it the rest of my life you know i'll be 66 this week and i love what i do and it's it's fun so, Will, what antiques do you collect for yourself? There's a couple things that I'm a type collector or have made a collection. And one is pre-war trains and some stuff into the 50s. And it's Marklin primarily and Lionel. Ooh. And my dad used to run trains in the basement. And I'd go down there and he'd make the houses and everything. And um, I just loved as a kid to go down in the basement with all those bright lights at night. You know, all the little shiny lights and the houses and things and the trains going around. And I still remember the smell and, you know, the electric engines and things. And so I really like those. And I've also done that with collected 50s and 60s baseball cards. And I have almost a complete collection of tops that are near mint. Tops baseball cards from 1952 to 2002. And then I quit. Ooh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's like Beanie Babers. You know, for like 50 years, that's a pretty solid. That's a, that's a pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a wide nice round number. Yeah, they proliferated <laughs> the printing of baseball cards late in the 1900s, and it was just ridiculous. And I wrote an article very critical of Tops with their new cards. 
I don't remember what the price of a pack of cards was, but it was like, it was in the hundreds of dollars. And you only got like three cards in a pack or something. And it's just, um, to me, it got away from the tradition of baseball. And it was more like a um, gambling. Yeah, I think I read that article. <laughs> did you read it? Did you see it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was interested in the, I'm always interested in seeing a variety of people pushing back against like the gamblification of collectibles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of BS and, you know, it can be fun enough without that. I mean, the 1999 top set, they put in about one of 3,000 cards was a signed Nolan Ryan card. He had retired, I think, at that point, and he had 27 years in the major leagues. And, I mean, he, he was just a stud and with his arm. And it was a nice baseball set that they put out that year. It had nice cards in it and had a few special Nolan Ryan cards. So the tops recreated his card for every year in that set. And so I have 26 of the 27 signed Ryan cards, but it's like I'm also getting a baseball card set with it. You know, this to me has just lost the allure. And I just thought I had to speak up. And it turned out some of the cards that came in there, every card was signed or had a piece of uniform. But, you know, if you get one of the uniform cards, it isn't necessarily even part of one of those uniforms that was game used. And if you get a signed card, they had some all fake signatures that went out. Whoa. Hey. Hey, sorry, what? Yeah. Hey, what? Yeah. Is that allowed? That seems very strange. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they got called on. Yeah. And they had to make good. But, I mean, come on. Where's your quality control? Seriously. And so, it's to me, it's just when something's bad, you have to, my grandmother used to say, if they don't know, tell them. <laughs> Everybody may not agree with me, but, you know, I, it's just not what I wanted to do. So, I, you know, I quit collecting cards at that point, or at least baseball cards, and I got into Pokemon cards. Ooh. Yeah, those are now a lot of them worth a fortune, the early first edition ones. But yeah, D just unloaded <laughs> it from when you were, what, like eight? Yeah, I collected when I was a child, like a lot of people uh, in their 30s. And um, yeah, that got me through a year of unemployment. Yeah, there worth money and so um my first kid and i we collected those together oh that's really sweet yeah he still has them all in mint condition Aww. he does the artificial intelligence for worth point oh. he's also did the visual recognition so if it doesn't work call him up and yell at him but <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell him he said <laughs> yeah and so um you know the, the pokemon cards were fun it was fun again and so that's to me what you got to do is and so I collect cards for fun. I collect, you know, the 52 Tops is a fascinating set. That's the one where the Mickey Mantle card in mint condition is worth $12 million. I don't have that card, but I have about 90% of the cards in the set. Wow. They short printed all the rookies and ones like Mickey Mantle, they threw in the fourth series at the end of the year. Not a lot of people bought them and the kids that did used them in bike spokes, you know, to make noise. Yeah. Guess what they did with the extra cards they didn't sell at the end of the year? Oh. They threw them in the ocean. What? The, what? Huh. <laughs> I mean, anybody that's green on here, uh, please don't listen. But, um, huh. That is a not, that was not even going to be in the top 10 guesses of what they would do. <laughs> well, yeah. So, um, I'm sure Poseidon appreciated the offering. Yeah. They were put in the fourth series. And there's a lot of really great players, but uh, suffice it to say, really, Eddie Matthews is the last card in the set. And that one, I have that one, but it's really hard to find in good condition because the kids put uh, rubber bands around them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. But then I collect things that to me are fun and are really different or good examples of what they did or something that catches my eye. So, but I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> As I said, I primarily deal in paper. I love old photographs, and I do the research on them. And um, one of the things, a photo book set and a handwritten book, 
The guy was a general and early family in California that went there, I believe, in the 1880s. The photographs they took were unbelievable. And he was a general in the Philippine insurrection. And it's he hand wrote a book on his unit. Oh, wow. Yep. And one of the book, I mean, one of the pictures in there, besides I found the old Winchester house. <laughs> you know, the Winchester house? The oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a period photograph in there of the Winchester house. That's amazing. Yeah, there's the portal to hell is in there. Oh, word? The photo book. <laughs> Have you heard about the portal to hell? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not when I came home that night, I promise you. <laughs> but it's a place in, outside of L.A. And the settlers in the, I, I guess, the early 1900s, the people, and there was a Whistling Springs down by the, um, I don't know, down by the middle of nowhere, Sausalito or something, I don't know. And the Indians thought it was a ghost of a coyote or something because they thought it sounded like a coyote or the Native Americans. And so, um, lo and behold, the settlers didn't care. They wanted water. It's an age-old story in California. So they dammed up the springs. Uh-oh. Yeah, and a lot of bad things have happened there. Ron Hubbard and what is it, Scientologists have gone had gone in there and used to do a lot of stuff there. Oh yeah, it's a legendary place. And I have a photo of when they just started the construction on it. Wow, that was in that book. And so, you know, if, if you do your homework on what you buy, photos are a dime a dozen, but not good photos. True. And I had a, somebody that taught me early in antiques, you'd be very careful buying chairs and mirrors. And I said, why, Andy? And he said, well, people are lazy or vain. So there's chairs all over to put your ass on in a house. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of mirrors to go look at yourself in a house. True enough. Yeah, it's true with photos and pictures of people. I look for photos that are really interesting, and I try to do my research, and I buy books with a lot of notations in them or the name of the people in them. And so you can do research and figure out what it is you have. And even with the lens products out there, whether you're using WorthPoint or Google, you can do more and more research as to uh, what something is. I just had some early airplane photos from the mid, I guess, second century in the 1900s. And I shot them with Google Lens just to know what type of plane it was. And that actual uh, photo, very similar, came up with the air group in Texas. Oh, wow. And so now all of a sudden, I can identify when and where that photo was taken. And it'd be worth a lot of money to a Texas air historian where it wouldn't have been worth as much money just to somebody if you couldn't tell what it was. So and that's how I found the portal to hell was they had the name of the springs written on there they were digging at. And I was able to go online and do some research. Then I go to WorthPoint and look for what, how much those type of pictures sell for. And I do my listing and I'm done quickly. That's some amazing firsthand, firsthand accounts. Yeah. And yeah. so... I just look for things that are different, and if I like them, I collect them for myself. I've always been looking for watch stands or watch hutches. And when people came home from um, a day out, they would hang their watch up in something on their dresser or somewhere where they could keep track of what time it is. So your pocket watch became like a table clock. Oh, yeah. Those are underappreciated peats of uh, watch paraphernalia. Mm -hmm. I think they're neat. (laughs) They really are. And I found one in a state sale here in Georgia. It was very early. It's done like a hepa white pillar and scroll clock or something of that period. And I said, this is really good. I hope they don't know what it is. I know that feeling. And it was 200 bucks. I bought it. And it has scrimshaw carving on it, <gasps> a whalebone. And it is done like a period case clock, but smaller. And on the bottom, it was an old fountain pen made by a sailor on the Black Jake. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was with Johnny Depp. 
<laughs> you got, the, black got the theme song playing. Not the Black Pearl, the Black Jake. We're going to take him out. And so I paid her the $200 and came home. And besides that, it just happened to fit one of my pocket watches. <laughs> Meant to be. Yeah, I went and researched the Black Jake. And the Black Jake was a slave ship that went from Baltimore to Jamaica. And then it was repurposed at the Revolutionary War, which fits the time period we're getting to in this clock. And it was sunk as a privateer in the Revolutionary War. Oh, wow. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know where this watch hutch came from. And made in Baltimore, the style fits at the time of the Revolution. I have some more research to do, but the whole thing is really pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. I th- I'd say well worth 200 bucks. Yeah, I, I was happy. <laughs> I got a good deal that day. But I'm honest. I mean, this was a professional conducted sale. If it was a homeowner sale, I would have said something. And in the case of that um, turkey call, I actually went and took the people some more money. Oh, see, that's right. Decent of you. Well, I believe in karma and that um, you know, I did okay. And you know, one of the things that was in that house too was a carved Easter Island figure. And people know they made the big ones, but they also made smaller ones. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I thought the guy was full of crap at the time because he was through his six pack. (laughs) And that um, he said his uncle was a um World War II soldier in Easter Island. I I was like, yeah, and and my father's from Mars and has five legs. (laughs) (laughs) He met Marvin. Yeah, my dad beat Godzilla. (laughs) I mean, it's cool about your dad though. (laughs) Yeah. I only thought that they did the big ones, but I got home and and uh, we actually had somebody that was affiliated with Fourth Point check it out, and it is a real Easter Island figure. So you know, I got a good deal, and I never cry if I overpay for something and I've made mistakes before, and you just suck it up and move on. But that guy and his girlfriend that had the sale, they you know, I was right with them, and they've been giving me so many other leads that it's crazy. And one of the best things that I I didn't realize, you know, and it's like everybody thinks because I found it worth point, I know everything about everything, and I don't. That's how I make mistakes. And I'd like to write an article about the 10 things that I didn't buy that I should have bought. Sounds like a fun read. Yeah. Yeah, don't we? We all have those, don't we? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God. I have I have regrets. That t-shirt haunts me to this day. For me, it's the um, the mortuary table. Oh, God. If, if, you had, if you had the means to move it. I should have found them. <laughs> yeah. 50 bucks for a mortuary table. Sometimes you got to find the means. <laughs> and I like to say where there's a will, there's a way. And in this case, I really screwed up. So what's what's your number one regret? Can you share that with us? That one that day, he had a pile of meteorite pieces outside his front door. Oh. Whoa. And I didn't know they were worth anything. They're just heavy as hell. <laughs> you know, the metal's so dense and they're worth a lot of money. And this guy had maybe, there had to be a hundred, at least a hundred pieces there. That's crazy. Was this guy like dealing with aliens? Oh, yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? And he just, his father had gone to old flea markets in East Jesus, Georgia, you know, or South Jesus, Georgia for years. And I guess he had a source and, you know, might have been Marvin the Martian, but <laughs> I left those there. And, you know, I look back at other things that I left and one, one was a uh, rice car bed with a rice post from early Charleston. I passed up a Lewis Comfort Tiffany watercolor. Ooh, that hurts. In the late 70s, it's like, who the hell is he? A guy with the name of Comfort? I mean, come on, I've heard of Southern Comfort. (laughs) 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 I ain't getting any comfort out of that painting, you know? So So it's worth having the jokes though, see? Yeah. (laughs) You'll always have those. I can laugh at myself, so, you know, it's like, I'm not that serious, you can tell. And, you know, I screwed up. 
What can I say? I mean, messing up is how you learn. Yeah. yeah. And I passed up a rock well before. Oof. Yeah. So, but I was young. Have you ever had to make a choice too? Yes. And it's painful. The guy had a federal bullseye period mirror. Oh, wow. Best one I've ever seen. And I did buy that. And it's still in my house today. And I passed up a small painting that was a study by a guy by the name of Edward Farney. And it was a Native American sitting under a singing wire that he was listening to in the snow. And I got a great mirror. There's no doubt about it. But the Farney painting would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. Yeah. I was going to say that that the Farney rings a bell. Yeah. It rings a big bell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it rings a Liberty bell in my head. <laughs> it, rings, it rings a hundred grand bell. Yeah. $100,000 worth of bells right there. So before we let you go, Will, what's your number one piece of advice for antiques dealers? Don't be afraid. Go for it. Fair. I like that advice. <laughs> if you're out there, I share information and I'm willing to teach anybody anything. And I believe you're better off hunting as a pack of wolves than on your own. Yeah. Also good advice. I don't compete with my flea market dealers. When I used to live in Maine near a market, I wouldn't be there first thing in the morning. But then they'd bring me everything they found. And not just from that market, but from other places. I pay fair money. And I don't try to get something from nothing from them. And if I can educate them, I'm more than glad to. Because you know what? They bring me better stuff. So I don't mind sharing. I'm collaborative. I'll take risk. I'll learn how to plug in my headphones. <laughs> you know? And I'll learn to play with the right button. See, I love hearing that from like an industry veteran. Because I, I feel like there's an unfair assumption that we're like antique dealers are always like up against each other. But really like no. the best deals are made with community. Yeah. And you got you got to take chances. But you make educated risks. And I have another saying is you, you don't make a bet you can't afford to lose. Very good advice. <laughs> yeah, I'll cost average. And I'll tell you, I just lost about $1,500 on a deal. But I didn't try to pass on my mistake to somebody else. And I thought these were Revolutionary War buttons. But they were cast out of the same molds in the 1960s. Oh, yep, yep. And you know what? I made a mistake. And I didn't go back and whine about it to the estate sale dealer. And I knew the women that were selling the stuff really needed the money. And, you know, it was just a lesson and I'll learn it and I'm not going to pass on something wrong. So, you know, I, I think we all have to do that and you'll make some mistakes. But, you know, I probably sell part time because I got to run a company, but I still sell about $300,000 a year. And you know what? That just goes in my cost of goods sold. If you look at any business you run, going from gross revenue to net, net revenue, you have a, a loss area that's for shrinkage. Somebody stole something. Or you know what? You screwed up and just take it in that. And if you do, then you'll learn it and you're not likely to make the same mistake. But take risks. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So you're your own business and life isn't risk-free. So a lot of times doing nothing is doing something. And, you know, on the other hand, I can tell you out in one of my favorite places to go picking is in Long Beach, California. Some wonderful stuff comes out of the people that made a lot of money with the oil industry, the aerospace industry, the movie business, and all that stuff. And in this case, I took a risk. I saw some old ledgers on a table out there that I recognized the type of ledger from New England. I bought them, and that all, one of them turned out to be the first Supreme Court ledger from the colony of New Jersey. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I asked the guy, can you get any more of this stuff? And he says, yeah, you know, somebody died and that one of the big auction houses came in and they took the most expensive stuff. 
They didn't want the paper. The family threw it in the trash against the wishes of the state sale dealer. And he got eight banana boxes out before oh, the trash truck came. Oh, my God. And so that's where the ledger came from. There's something from, what's her name, Bronte or something that wrote Wuthering Heights? Charlie Bronte? Yeah. There's a scrapbook in there, I think, was hers when she was in school in Belgium. Whoa. Um, and she, she was having an affair with her school teacher. What? And he drew some pictures in there, a really good artist, and signed them and wrote some sweet messages in French on the back. Wow. We're having them verified, but uh, her love letters to him, he ripped them up with his second wife, and the second wife didn't want them destroyed, and she sewed them back together, and they're in a museum in London. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. There's really good handwriting samples of hers in there to compare to. But I kept that book around long enough to try to understand who signed those pictures. And she had noted on there, it was a Brussels school. And I didn't know anything about her connection to the book at that time. But all this was in the trash. But my point is, I trusted that dealer to go back and buy the four boxes. And I gave him uh, quite a few thousands of dollars, more than one, less than 10. <laughs> and I said, go go get them for me, Joe. And that's amazing. And, and to think of the, the documents you've saved from the trash. Yeah. Yeah. There was stuff in there by Sam. Samuel Adams, you know, the, the beer guy. Whoa. Not the well, modern More one, than beer. <laughs> yeah. He was writing it's about like a brewery. Beer. You know? So in one of this, inappropriate for Halloween, there was a um, document signed by Mr. Poe. Yeah, right. Well, not Edgar Allan. His father was very famous. Oh. He was the first head of the what do they call him, not commissary general, for the uh, Revolutionary Army. Oh, wow. And he was an Irish immigrant. And RR Auctions sold a letter written by Edgar Allan Poe. And it was an, a letter that Edgar Allan Poe, somebody was asking him an autograph collector for his father's autograph. And he says, it's so rare, I don't even have one. <laughs> and an army document signed by his father was in this lot. Oh, wow. I sold that to the Poe house. See, like you got rid of it before Poe came after you. Yeah. <laughs> How come you got one, man? <laughs> yeah, the state of New Jersey came after me for that colonial ledger. Oh, wow. Yeah, I bet. And in this case, I threatened to use it as toilet paper, and they <laughs> had to relax. <laughs> it's on that early linen rag paper. It's real soft and absorbent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they'd understand it. So, you know, that's one document. And we finally... Actually, I said, I'm not going to be threatened, but I do have a museum price, and I'll use it just for you guys and for museums. It's half off. And you know what? We struck a deal. Yeah, that's great. And I said, if this stuff wasn't worth something and reselling, nobody would bother to save it. Fair. And so it's one of the wonderful things that you can do, and I've saved so much paper. I just found a telegraph from a mother, really sad, an hour and a half after the Pearl Harbor attack. And she lived in Wisconsin, and she it looks like she was out in Hawaii visiting her son, and he was lost on the USS Utah. And she was writing the recipient and saying, I'm, I'm so full of terror, what do I do? And those things deserve to be preserved. Yeah. And that all, I look at that's part of what I do as a dealer. And I'm more happy and I'm more flexible in price when something goes to a good home, you know, that I want it to be cared for. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream is just making sure somewhere something goes somewhere it's really going to be cherished. Yeah. I don't want it left in a barn again in 100 years. And, you know, that's something that's so poignant to going through all this stuff that I do is you see that you're just a caretaker at a point in time. 
you know, I'm more than glad to save the things and, and get them off to the right people. And I think that's something we ought to be happy we do as dealers, you know, but it's what I like doing because I deal in specialized things. You know, I don't I don't want to compete with somebody just on another piece of Weller that they made thousands of. <laughs> there's some Weller that's really special, too, so I don't want to just dis Weller. But somebody that was watching my store said, I can see you don't compete all the way to the bottom. And no, I don't. And don't feel you have to if you buy right. Right on. Yeah, so that's my advice. That's lovely wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Will. This was very educational. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. You guys are great. If you would like to suggest episode topics or just say hello, you can email us directly antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. Or you can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. If you would like to listen to deleted scenes or listen to our special bonus episode presentation of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varian the Vampire, you can hit up our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. And thank you in particular for listening. Au revoir!